greet you in Jesus' name. It's a blessing to be here with you again. I've had the privilege over the years, I haven't been around near as many much as maybe some of you have, but I've had the privilege of speaking at revival services in a number of different churches. This is not the largest congregation I've spoke to for revivals. One congregation that I spoke at for a week of revivals had four families. That was the extent of their congregation. I've had the privilege of meeting in Los Angeles in a motel room, in a conference room for a service. I've had the privilege of meeting behind bars and all kinds of different backgrounds come together for a service. I had the privilege of being up north in NYP and meeting in their services, meeting in Haiti in some of their services, and of course in Guatemala, on dirt floors. Uh, one day I was speaking in Guatemala and it was on that point still a dirt floor and a, a little chicken come walking in and walked between my feet and walked back out the door. I'm privileged to be here this morning, and it's always a privilege to meet with God's people, and one of the things that was had in common with all of those settings that I demonstrated was that we were brothers and sisters. We had the same father, and we were able to meet together and fellowship together. I had the privilege of meeting with the uh, colony people in Mexico. And I couldn't understand their German, but I could fellowship with them. We are here this morning to worship the Lord. And earlier in the week, somebody was speaking about church. And uh, the church went to church to have church today. We're talking about the congregation, okay? The title of the message, You and Your Brotherhood. Brotherhood is a belief in or feeling of unity and cooperation among a people. Like I mentioned, we're talking about your congregation, where you're a part of, where you meet, where you worship. For this, I'd like to look at Romans chapter 12. I'll be using this as a basis, be using uh, a number of other scriptures as well. But we like to look at the church. And I, rem- I will like to share with you that I haven't always appreciated the church like I do now. There, were time when I, there was a time when I rebelled against the church. There was a time when I didn't appreciate the brothers and the sisters in the church. There was a time when I didn't feel like I fit in the church. But I'm glad today that I'm a part of the church. In fact, it was a real struggle for me, for my family and I, especially myself, I guess. We were felt a definite call to go to Guatemala. And we were there a number of years, and during that time we were adopting our daughter from there. And 
we definitely felt a call to there. And over the course of the time, I began to feel a call back to Pennsylvania. And I don't know how long it was, but I argued with the Lord and I said, God, I'll serve you all my life in Guatemala. Don't call me to Belleville. Don't want to go there. I knew the people there. I knew that's where I grew up. I don't want to go there. And I, I don't know how long I argued with the Lord. But I remember very well one morning on my hands and knees on my living room floor in Hoya Grande, I told the Lord, I'll serve you anywhere. We had been looking, working at our adoption for a number of years. And I wish I would have kept track, but the adoption was through in a couple of days. It was right over the time that our congregation at home went through a division and was home about a year and a half and was ordained for there. It hasn't always been easy. But I feel called there and I want to put myself into the work. And if you feel called here and you put yourself into the work, you will grow to love the congregation. And you will grow to love the people in the congregation. Let's look here at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I would understand that this is speaking to us this morning, a congregation, the local congregation. There's a lot of things in here and I won't be able to expand on everything. But I'd like to... Allow God this morning to help us think like He thinks about the church. 
Colossians 1.18 tells us that Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. The other evening I shared that husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And we read that Scripture. Christ loves the church so much that He was willing to give His life for it. And we studied about the, uh, the trial, his, his trial and his conviction. It wasn't conviction, it was false accusations and eventual crucifixion. And he did that so we could be here today as a brotherhood. He did that so we can come from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of family situations. We can come together as brethren. We can worship together. We can live together. We can work together. He is the head of the church. And in verses 1 through 3 of Romans 12, it speaks about living sacrifices. It speaks about um, not being conformed to this world, but be transformed. In order for us to work together as a congregation, as a brotherhood, we must have transformed minds. We must be changed. We must think differently. You see, in the world today, it is what I can get out of it. What I, how I can get ahead. In the brotherhood, it's how we can grow together. And there's a vast difference. We also see that verses 4 and 5, that every member is important. Every person, every member of, your, of the body of Christ is important. Has anyone here ever had a toothache? A toothache? Does it hurt? Did you ever miss work or miss school or miss church because of a toothache? You mean you would let a little member like that keep you from work? Well, I've had toothache already where it, it was excruciating. Eventually I had to get a couple teeth cut out. In fact, the first time I went to Maranatha Bible School as a student, I went with a toothache. And by the first weekend, it throbbed so bad and my face began to swell up. Well, that's mortifying if you're in Bible school. Well, they decided Monday morning they're going to take me to the, uh, to the dentist well, Monday was President's Day. So I had to wait till Tuesday. By Tuesday, my face was really swollen. Well, I went in. They opened the one tooth up. It was infected. The next day, it was worse. So I went back in. Here, the one beside it was as well. And I ended up having to have surgery. But I laid in bed, in the bunk bed out there in Maranatha. I could tell you where it was. And it hurt so bad, I could not pray. It was terrible. Every member is important. A tooth you can pull out and get rid of. You can maybe get some false teeth or get an implant. But in the congregation, we work together. Verses 6 through 8, it talks about exercising our gifts. Every one of you has something to offer for the congregation. 
Not everyone can do the same things and not everyone can do the same things well. But everyone has something to offer. And we must be willing to do that. We must put ourselves to the work. Exercise our, our abilities. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are laborers together with God. Since I've been in the ministry, I've worked with people who don't appreciate the church. And one of the things I've noticed is that whenever we don't appreciate the church, we begin to back away from the church. And after a bit, we begin to see the church from a distance and we I don't like what I see. I want to encourage us to get in, to get involved. To work together, to sweat together, to labor together, to pray together. And we'll begin to appreciate it because we're giving something for it. We need to put ourselves to the work. We are to show brotherly love. Uh, verses 9 and 10. Let love be without dissimulation. Or it has the idea of let love be real. Not fake, not put on. Let love be real. Without pretense. Sincere. Let's look at John 13. You know, the disciples of Jesus had problems with loving one another. And He instituted the, the feet washing service, the ordinance of feet washing to help them understand, to help us understand service and love, humility. But in chapter 13, verse 34, He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Keep on showing love. Don't stop showing love. Don't sh stop giving yourself to the church. He says, well, sometimes it doesn't exist. That is correct. There sometimes it isn't there. We had a situation in Guatemala in the church there where because of some issues in the church we began to deal with some issues, some deep issues. And, you know, we don't like our secrets to be found out. Well, as the secrets began to be found out, uh, they appreciated their leader less and less. And finally one day, well, I got come home one night. My family and I had been in the city. And we came back, and soon after we got home, after a long day in the city, about either 10 or 10.30 at night, two brethren from the church there came, and they left me have it. I mean, they left me know what they thought of me, of the church, of some of the members in the church. And I went in after they left, and I said, God, you're going to have to give me love for him, because I don't have it. I don't have love for him. You're going to have to give it to me. Well, God worked a miracle there. I'm not sure how much time. A year or more later. It was probably more than a year later. We were getting ready to leave. The congregation there had a special service, a farewell service for, for us. And they got up and cried. That man that I had trouble with, he cried. He didn't want us to go. In fact, when I go back, he still wants me to come and visit him and see him. 
God will do that. And if we don't have love, don't give that as an excuse. Ask God to give you love. I have a reading here I'd like to share with you. Rona lived in a, on a Philippine island in the mountains. Her mother and father and two older children had left for a village that was over an hour away on foot. Eight-year-old Rona was left home with five of her brothers and sisters who were sleeping on woven mats in their thatch hut. Suddenly oil from a lighted lamp spilled onto Rona's bed. A snoopy cat had knocked over the lamp. Almost instantly, Rona's hair and nightclothes were on fire. She hid at the fire. Then in the light of the flames, she saw her brothers and sisters stirring. With flames in her hair, Rona grabbed one of her sisters and carried them down the ladder in ladder steps into the yard. She rushed back inside and got the four-year-old and the one-year-old and carried them to safety. Then she ran back into the smoke-filled hut and got her seven-year-old brother and carried him outside. She dashed back for her nine-year-old sister but could not lift her. She pushed her to the window and rolled her out. With all the children out of the house, Rona grabbed a pail and ran to the nearby stream to get water. She dashed the flames again and again until her small body was overcome. She collapsed face down into the charred, smoking rubble. When the mother found her daughter, most of her hair was burned off. Her scalp and back were covered with thick black crust. No pulse could be found. Rona is dead, the mother told the other children. But the father offered to, the father offered to dig the grave. But the mother refused. She decided to carry the girl to the small hospital six hours away on foot. There a doctor would at least tell her that her daughter was dead for certain. But miracle of miracles, Rona was alive. And she continued to live against great odds. She had third degree burns over her scalp and back and her left ear was gone. Infection began and pain increased. Rona had to go through a series of surgeries and skin grafts. She faced the physical pain with the same courage she had faced the fire. When asked how she was so brave, she replied simply, I did it because they are my brothers and sisters, and I love them. Are we willing to do it because they are our brothers and sisters? Do we love them? I believe our testimony in the community is no stronger than our love that we have for one another. We can't expect to be a drawing to the community if we don't have love for one another. We had our love as a family, love as brethren. We are members one of another. Are we ready, ready to give ourselves for the church, for the brotherhood? Willing to sacrifice for the good of the body? Ephesians tells us to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Leave that's in the brotherhood. We need to learn to do that. Because like I mentioned before in our marriage, we're human and we fail. And we need forgiveness. We need to learn to love one another. Verse 11, Romans 12, verse 11, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Be intense in service to God through the church. Work together. Be willing to work as hard in the congregation as you are in your jobs this coming week. Put yourself to it. When I was teaching school, 
On Friday afternoons at our school, why we the last half hour or so was cleaning. Students who had different jobs and they had to clean the school. Well, if they got done cleaning, before the half hour was up, they could play. But the thing was, their teacher had to inspect their work before they could go play. Well, that one year, my wife was helping out, and I, I really, I have a tendency, yeah, that looks clean, go out the door. Okay? Yeah. So I would, I would give the okay. Well, I liked it when my wife was there. She said, now here, come on, now this isn't clean. She'd make him do it over. And she'd go check it out. And she'd go in the girl's bathroom and make sure it was clean. And I asked the students one time, I said, do you work like this at home? If you have to clean your house at home, is, do you do like you do here? No. But see, they, don't have to, they can't go play with their friends as soon as they're done. Okay? They have to do it. Mom's there, dad's there to help them, to watch, make sure it's done right. When we're working in the church, we need to realize we're working for God and for the good of the rest. And we need to do our best. We work together for God's glory. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Patient in tribulation or suffering. Along with that, uh, praying, praying one for another. We share our burdens. That's one of the things that I appreciate about the congregation. When we have burdens, we don't have to suffer alone. We don't have to uh, battle alone. But we can call someone. We can talk with someone. And we can say, pray for me. Pray with me. Bear our burdens together. And when we work together, things happen. I already mentioned, I think, as I think I did earlier in the week about we put an additional into our school. And it was an impossible situation. But when everybody worked together, it was amazing what happened. We, we actually got it done. Quite a few years ago, I was driving a milk truck picking up canned milk uh, for the Amish in our valley. They shipped milk cans and I'd go around every morning and pick up the milk cans. Well, one of the farmers, one of the Amish farmers, he said, you have a truck, right? I had a small truck. Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, could you haul some junk for me? I said, yeah, I'll do that. So we went out in his field and we went to this place and picked up some garbage and some trash and some old barn machinery here. And We were loaded and we were coming out of the pasture field and it sunk. The track, the truck went to the axle. I'm like, oh, how am I? There's no tractor here. They have no tractor. The Amish that I was working with, they don't even have a tractor to run their power stuff. They have a stationary engine to run their power stuff. How's this going? Oh, he said, I'll pull you out. I said, no, you won't. Oh, yeah, yeah. He gets his horses hitched up. I forget it. I think it was four horses. I said, you will not get this truck. Yeah, yeah, I'll get it out. So we hooked it all up and he talked to the horses and he talked to these four horses and he got the chains tight and he talked to them. All of a sudden he yelled and those four horses lunged forward and that truck, boom, right at <laughs> He wasn't surprised, but I was. 
But one of those horses, two of those horses, or three, four of those horses couldn't have done it if they weren't working together. They'd have been going like this. They'd have never pulled that truck out. It's the same way in the congregation when we all work together, miracles happen. Impossible things happen if we work together. We are to pray for one another. Samuel said this, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. We sin against God when we cease to pray. Because God tells us to pray for one another. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, meeting the needs of the brotherhood through the brotherhood. That is a blessing. That's a tremendous blessing. My mother, at this point, is, is bound to the house. She can't get out and go to services. For the last, I don't know how many, at least four Sundays, four ladies have been coming to hold uh, Sunday school in her house. Uh, there's just a lot of things. I have a big stack of wood at home. Last fall, I had a very small stack, and it was time to cut wood. But I was busy here and busy there and wasn't getting it done. And one Saturday morning, the ch church got together, and by 6 o'clock in the morning, there was a tractor and trailer load of firewood sitting there in logs, and by lunchtime, it was stacked, split, and everything in my backyard. I had a real need. I didn't advertise the need, but the, some people knew I had one, and they did it for me. Are we willing to spend and be spent for the church? Are we willing to give ourselves? God wants to meet the needs of the church by the church. There also has to be an element of trust if we're going to do that. One of the things that's, that stood out to me that day, that Saturday when that and the church came together to, to do that. <coughs> I know a couple of brethren in the church that needed wood almost as bad as I did. But guess what they were doing? They were helping me out. We must have confidence in one another. There must be fellowship. We must have relationships. There can be no fellowship without relationship. How are our relationships in the brotherhood? Are they close? When a congregation this size, you can't know everybody very intimately. But we should try and we should have, uh, work together to get to know each other. And we don't, we don't know each other just here Sunday morning. You know, when you really get to know each other, is that a work project or informal setting or something like that? That's when you get to know each other. In John 15, Jesus talks to His disciples. John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. If we're friends... If we're brethren, if there's a relationship, we're going to share. 
I know there's things sometimes we can't share. But there needs to be honesty, openness. There needs to be a, a willingness to trust. So what happens when there are misunderstandings? And there will be misunderstandings. Um, sometimes something's mis is not said correctly or I'm misunderstood. Uh, people understand things different than what they're said sometimes. How do I han handle that? Well, look at verse 14. It says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. I believe it's talking about the brotherhood. Whenever we are misunderstood or false accusations are thrown at us or maybe even real accusations, true accusations, it's not so much what comes at us as what comes from us. How do we react to that? How do we respond? Do we react or respond? Galatians 6, 10 says, Do good unto all men. And then verses 16 and 17 here, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. How do, how do I handle it whenever we don't, we, there's disagreements among us? How do I handle it when um, we don't see things the same? Proverbs 6, 19 tells us that God hates sowing discord among brethren. One way to do that is talk about someone behind their back or spread stories about them. I believe one of the worst things I can do for the brotherhood is to talk bad about a brother to someone outside the congregation. That's devastating. That is terrible. And it happens, I realize. I believe we either tear down or build up the church by tearing down or build up relationships. I have a copy here of uh, Lifelines from a number of years ago. <clears throat> and one of the things for to build trust and to get us through the tough times in, in the congregational life is, is communication. One key ingredient in rebuilding trust is communication. When God decided to frustrate the intentions of, the, of those building the Tower of Babel, He confounded their language so that they could not understand each other. As a result of not understanding each other, there was confusion. Unity that was necessary for success was gone, and they scattered. And that's a wonderful illustration of what happens when communications break down. I mean, these people all spoke the same language, and they, they could communicate together. And they were going to build a tower to heaven. And God just confused our languages and they couldn't work together. They had no communication. I'd also like to share another paragraph here. As we face change in the life of the brotherhood, we must realize that change may intrude in our comfort zones and even result in erosion of trust. It is important that we recognize while, that while some things do not change, in some areas of life, it, 
change is inevitable. In the case of thus saith the Lord, we must remain committed. In the areas of personal conviction or opinion, where we have no thus saith the Lord, we must allow room for some personal freedom. In the areas of brotherhood agreement and application, we should be supportive. In areas of cultural practices, we do well to accommodate the local practice, assuming there are no moral issues or brotherhood agreements that would be violated. I told my home congregation already that if it was up to me, there would be things change in our congregation. There would be some procedures changed, the way we do things. But I told them I'm not going to tell them what it is because I don't want people coming to me and trying to drum up support for that. I believe we can present ideas, we can discuss things, we can share. But when there's an agreement made, let's all get behind it and support it. I heard a story of a man who, or of a congregation, who was trying to decide if they needed a new roof on the church. And there were some who agreed that there should be a roof on, others didn't think so. And one older gentleman was, we do not need a roof on. We can fix that a little bit, save the money, and we don't need to put a roof on. Well, they finally took a vote, and it passed to put a new roof on. And they decided one Saturday that they're going to do this roof. Well, that Saturday, guess who was the first one there? The one who had been the loudest against it. And some people mentioned, well, what are you doing here? I didn't even think you'd be here. He said, hey, the church voted to do it. I'm going to put myself into it. And I believe it, it ended up being a blessing um, to all. I was asked to preach a message one time. And the name of the message was Pillar or Caterpillar. Pillar or caterpillar. A pillar in the church is something you uh, support. It is something with someone you can depend on. It is someone who stands when many other things don't stand. It is, is, it is a guide to go by. A caterpillar, if you study a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon, it'll eat its, its weight in leaves a couple times over in a day. And it eats so fast that the skin busts and it sheds its skin and keeps on eating. And if you watch them in the daytime, a caterpillar is only concerned about itself. Just eating, 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 eating. Yeah, I know. Maybe I look like a caterpillar. But that caterpillar is concerned about itself. I want to ask you something. When a caterpillar crawls around eating, 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 then it spins its cocoon, and when it comes out as a butterfly, does it have a change of view? Does it think differently? Of course it does. And see, we need that change from the being a pillar, a caterpillar, to being a butterfly. There are also times when we must. There are there are things happen in a congregation that there needs to be restitution. Let's go to Matthew five. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. First be reconciled, First be in harmony, 
and then offer your gift or come together as, as a brotherhood. The man who is my mechanic back in the States, or back in Pennsylvania, who um, he has, owns a garage there, and he, he's had quite a journey. He had a bad church situation, but he was really seeking the Lord. And we'd have different, he would, he'd throw scripture at me, what does this mean? And I'd challenge him. Well, one day he was telling me that he was asked to teach a youth class. And he went to church and he was ready to teach this youth class, or began to teach it actually. And all of a sudden he realized that his neighbor and him are at odds. Now he knew it before, but as he began to expound on the Word of God, he said, I can't go on. So he told somebody to take over the class, and he went to his neighbor during service, went to his neighbor, he said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? He came back and finished teaching. It changed him and changed his neighbor. We need to do things like that in the congregation. Whenever we know that there's disagreements, especially when we're at fault, we need to go out and try to make peace. I must do all, all I can to make peace in the brotherhood. Verse 15 speaks of rejoicing. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. When something good happens, whenever there's a blessing, rejoice with that person. And whenever there's bad things happen, uh, we need to be there for them, for people. We are a body and we need to work together. I'm not going to take time to read the passage, but sometime look up 2 Samuel chapter 9. There's a man there in that passage. His name was Mephibosheth. Did you ever hear of Mephibosheth? Anybody ever hear of Mephibosheth? Okay, read that passage. I'll try to explain it. David got the victory over King Saul. Saul was killed in, in battle. But it says there in the, in the Scripture before that, that David's house got stronger and stronger and Saul's house got weaker and weaker. And a number of years later, David remembered a promise he had made to Jonathan. See, Jonathan was supposed to be king next, but God chose David over Jonathan. David had promised that he was going to show kindness to Jonathan's descendants. Well, he went and checked. He says, is there anybody of the house of Jonathan that's still alive, that I can show kindness to them. And they looked around and they said, yes. Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. He's in Lodibar. That was the town. That means without bread. That was a desert place. The reason he... And he was a cripple. He was a crippled man who lived in Lodibar. The reason he was crippled is whenever they find out that his father and his uncles had been killed, the nurse grabbed him and tried to run and she dropped him and probably broke his legs. And it didn't heal correctly. And so he was lame from that day forward. David said, well, bring him here. What do you think Mephibosheth said? Thought, I should say. What did he think? The king's calling for me. Whenever one king would take over, that, the, other fam the family of the other king was always in trouble. Well, he came in there, and if you read 2 Samuel 9, he was fearful. 
And he said, he showed David reverence. And David said, don't fear. Fear not. He said, you're going to come in here as the king's son. You're going to eat always at my table as the king's son. So I'd like us to think about that. Another thing that Mephibosheth says, why are you treating such a dead dog like I am in this way? I promised you. I promised Jonathan that I would do that. But I'd like for us to vision that. The king's table was probably in the palace and the sons of the king sat there and you know what they had to do? They had to make room for Mephibosheth. They brought Mephibosheth in. He ate there every day. They probably had to help him to the table. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what's supposed to happen in the brotherhood? We help one another there. Well, we're at the king's table. Okay? We must act like children at the, at, like king's children at the king's table. I remember when I was growing up and after I was 12, from the time and then on I didn't have a father at the table. So I was mom and us children. It got pretty rowdy sometimes. And you could look across the table and, ah, you're disgusting. Ah, I don't, my, my, my one brother was left-handed, so he always sat at this, and he could make more of a mess with a piece of jelly bread than anybody I ever knew. I mean, he put so much jelly on, it would drip down. And I saw that when I would criticize that. You know, sometimes... We have people in our congregations that have dripping jelly bread. And it's disgusting to us. But how are we going to react to it? We must act like the king's children at the king's table. We must help each other get to the king's table. And we dare not fight at the table. We must show love and respect and kindness forbearance at the table. One time when I was in Carbon Hill Bible School, the fellows would sit on one side and the ladies would sit on the other side. And I was a time when I was very unsure of myself. And that's a uh, mild way of saying it. I was nervous when the girls sat across the table. Well, I was so afraid I'd drip something on my shirt or spill something. or Well, people were across the table. Girls were there and we, we ate. I come the end of this one meal, and I thought, look, I think everything's okay. We're all sitting there quietly. They're across the table, and after that, the one girl says, Wesley, before you get embarrassed, I'd like to tell you that you have a noodle on your shirt. Oh. So everybody watched while I got a spoon and cleaned this noodle off. But you know, I know her, that no, I knew her well enough that she didn't do it to make fun of me. She did it so that I wouldn't get out in class somewhere or somewhere else and still have a noodle on my shirt. Somebody made fun of me. How do we do whenever we see somebody with a noodle on their shirt? Do we make fun of them? Or do we help them? We dare not be prejudiced at the table. We dare not be concerned who sits beside us. We're brother. We're the king's sons. And we're at the king's table. We must show love to the unlovely people at the table. We must serve one another. And you know, if we keep our eyes on the king, instead of the king's sons, 
They, there are things that they do won't bother us so bad. And if we also realize that we're human and we mess up too. I know one time we were going to, to a, I believe it was actually a CLE workshop and it was a van load of us and I thought we should go one way but the driver thought we should go another way. And I was sort of sitting there and I was trying to be very kind and, but inside I was raging. This is ridiculous going this way. And all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what? He has to put up with you too. Not only are you putting up with him, he has to put up with you. What if you'd be in his shoes? And I've tried with God's help to think of that whenever, whenever there's disagreements or things that really don't matter but are prejudices. Let's try to act with God's help like the king's sons at the king's table. I just want to mention this. There are times when it becomes necessary to leave a congregation and move to another one or transfer to another one. But take care of things before you leave. Make sure you're at peace before you leave. And don't burn bridges when you leave. You may need them again. We had a family from Market that are now part of our congregation. And, of course, there in our valley, we have many congregations of conservative people. So it's maybe a little easier to jump around. This family come and they wanted to join our congregation. Their home congregation would not give them a church letter. I want to say right away that this doesn't always work. It's not the only way to do it. But I just want to give it as an example. They came... We met with their ministry, our ministry met with their ministry. We talked about the issues. They asked my wife and I, their ministry asked my wife and I to meet with them. We met with them a couple times a month for a number of months. And we asked them to go back to their home congregation and live and work in that home congregation long enough that they can get a church letter. And they did that. And it was a blessing to their congregation. It was a blessing to our congregation. And it was a blessing to them. They are now members of our congregation. They didn't burn their bridges. They can go back there and fellowship. And they can fellowship with us. We are one body with many members. There's a song that says, They will know we are Christians by our love. Do people know the way we treat each other in the brotherhood that we are brothers? Are we willing to sacrifice for the good of the body? Willing to suffer wrong? Are we honest and open? Are we willing to intercede? How does God view my relationships in the brotherhood? Am I in harmony? Am I doing my part to be an, an encourager, an edifier, and a builder? Does my love for my brothers and sisters in the congregation prove to the world that we're family? I'd like to read the words to a familiar song. <clears throat> family of God. From the door of the orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be there, 
but praise God, I belong. You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tear and rejoice in its victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Are you doing your part for your congregation as part of the family of God? Let's pray.